feisty, fearless, and fair, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. This is Rita Cosby, and joining you tonight on, boy, our first show of the new year here on the Rita Cosby Show. Lots of big breaking news and a big development coming now from the Buffalo Bills game. If you're just tuning in, safety DeMar Hamlin has collapsed on the field, temporarily suspending the game with the Buffalo Bills after a hard hit and given CPR on the field. And joining us now is our sports guy, Ken Connolly. Ken, fill us in on this big breaking development. It was the Bills and Bengals game. Yes, Rita, Monday Night Football. This is like unlike anything we've ever seen before. Uh, he went to make a tackle on the Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins at the 558 mark of the first quarter. And he basically fell down to the ground unconscious. An ambulance was brought out. He was removed. He was given CPR and an AED. And uh, he was given oxygen in the ambulance. And Rita, on the latest Fox 19 Cincinnati reports, that he has been intubated and is listed in critical condition. Do we know anything about his health or any prior history or any idea what it was that happened? Was it the hit or is there anything in his background that we know of at this point? I don't believe they're speculating any specific details, but this game could get postponed which is pretty crazy because we don't see that often. And obviously this man's health is much bigger than football. So we'll have to see if any further details come out. But right now, nothing on his, his condition. He's just he's in critical condition, but nothing as to the specifics of it. And also, um, just so we know, we understand um, for folks who didn't see the game, um, and I was watching some of the images of it, he was actually the guy doing the tackle, right? Yes. And he was tackling. Talk about what, what play was going on at, the, at so, the time and how it happened. T. Higgins, who's the wide receiver for the Bengals, he lowered his shoulder on DeMar Hamlin as he tried to make the tackle. And it looked like as he went down, his shoulder hit first, and then it was kind of shoulder into his neck. Um, he was hitting the chest area, so it could either be chest, it could either be his neck. I'm not too sure. All right. Ken Connolly, thank you very much. Keep us posted. And again, everybody, of course, our thoughts and prayers are with Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin. Again, took a, it looks like, a big, big fall after he was involved in a tackle. The Bills and Bengals game now temporarily postponed, we understand. He collapsed on the field, uh, being intubated at this time. So that is a huge Huge issue. Ken, thank you very much. And everybody, we will keep you posted uh, with this big development that just came in just a few minutes ago. Meantime, New Year's Eve turned out to be a violent one in New York. Uh, There was an attack right near Times Square. And it's downright frightening when we're getting the details about this guy. Um, In the last few hours, we're finding out that this was somebody who was self-radicalized. His name is 19-year-old Trevor Bickford, uh, and he will be charged, uh, it looks like right now, with attempted first-degree murder because he came to a checkpoint. If many of you, of course, are familiar with Times Square, the crossroads of the world, and you can imagine on New Year's Eve, there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. And he came to a checkpoint on 8th Avenue and 52nd Street, just a few blocks from the heart of Times Square, and suddenly took out a machete 
and started attacking police officers. Three officers were attacked from the NYPD. Uh, They fired at this guy, shot him in the shoulder. He is still in the hospital. But we're getting a lot of details about sort of the background of this guy because he was apparently on the radar of law enforcement. He was on the terror watch list. This was a guy who his own family reported that he was having problems earlier in the year, so much so they were concerned about his jihadi tendencies. Can you imagine your relatives actually are calling up and were actually calling up and told authorities that they were very concerned about his, quote, pro-jihadist views that were expressed by this guy. So take a listen. First off, here is NYPD Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell talking about this case and what happened and she describes the attack on new year's eve a 19 year old male approached an officer and attempted to strike him over the head with a machete the male then struck two additional officers in the head with the machete one officer an eight-year veteran suffered a laceration laceration to the head the second officer who graduated the police academy on friday was also struck in the head resulting in a skull fracture and large laceration And then the NYPD commissioner talked about just how difficult the job is for our authorities. Again, remember, this guy intentionally went with the idea of attacking the NYPD. If this doesn't show how tough their job is, I don't know what does. Here's a little bit more from the NYPD commissioner, Keyshawn Sewell. We are working with our federal partners for this investigation, and it is ongoing. I would like to stress, as the mayor said, there is no active threat at this time. This is another reminder of what our officers face. There were a lot of people out tonight. We are asking anyone who has any information to please call Crime Stoppers. And indeed, we are learning that this guy self-radicalized, so it seems, and wanted to join the Taliban. And in fact, when they arrested him at the hospital... He also made jihadist statements. I mean, this guy was damned and determined. So how concerned should we be about these sort of lone wolf jihadi attacks? And how big of a threat is this to sheriffs and to police and law enforcement everywhere? What are your thoughts, everybody? It's 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Do you think... Clearly, they should have been keeping a better eye on this guy, too, because if you look at the background, his family had been calling in to the law enforcement. Apparently, he had already been interviewed by law enforcement because they were concerned about his history, but they can't monitor everybody 24-7. But he was already on the terror watch list because of some of the past comments, maybe not high up, but he was on there. So what are your thoughts, everybody, about this case? And how tough it is for law enforcement and how there are still these jihadist extremists, even those that are homegrown, that wish to do us harm. That is a scary premise, but boy, does this not encapsulate it. It's 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. And joining us is the great former NYPD detective, Angel Masonette to give us his take on all of this. Um, Angel, thank you so much for joining us. And you know what? It's so disturbing to hear that this guy clearly went in with the intent 
to go after law enforcement. It sounds like, from what we're hearing, he got on an Amtrak train, came down two days earlier, uh, was doing all this jihadist you know, rhetoric, talking about wanting to join the Taliban, and clearly had a planned, premeditated attack on law enforcement and saw, you know, sadly, Times Square is sort of a rife opportunity. Your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, it's it's uh, it's scary. I mean, you know, this is stuff. I mean, listen, uh, you know, the war on police uh, is is alive and well in this country, right? It's being driven by these uh, politicians and the people who want to abolish the police and defund the police. Um, in 2014, we had detectives uh, Ramos and Lou that were assassinated by someone uh, um, who said he was coming to New York from Baltimore, right, uh, to put wings on pigs is what he said. So, I mean, you know, this is this is not going to stop, unfortunately. I mean, we had a police officer, a police chief killed tonight in uh, in Pennsylvania. So um, the, these attacks, you know, uh, are going to continue, unfortunately. How much does the rhetoric play into all of this? And this obviously has a lot of layers to it, sadly, Angel. I mean, you've got the point about this anti-police rhetoric that's out there that is just despicable. Um, and you talked about the wings on pigs and the pigs in a blanket. I think about the protesters marching, you know, down 7th Avenue um, and not enough people condemning that kind of rhetoric. And then also in this case, also some of the extremists, this jihadist, um, this this lore uh, that people, and this guy's only 19 years old, that they're like attracted to this kind of rhetoric. Talk about sort of both of those things. Yeah, well, it's, it's you know, again, it's unfortunately unfortunate. You know, these uh, a lot of these uh, kids that get radicalized, I locked up uh, an individual in uh, 2010 by the name of Abdul Hamid Shahada. He was, when I was on a joint terrorism task force, he was a Palestinian kid from Staten Island, and he had sort of the same views, right? He wanted to join uh, he was trying to join actually Al-Shabaab or Boko Haram, right? Um, he went to Hawaii, and we ended up arresting him in, in Hawaii. He wanted to do an insider attack to kill troops in the army. Um, so, uh, you know, this is this is nothing new. Um, unfortunately, the uh, anti-police rhetoric feeds this. The anti-American rhetoric that's being taught to our children um, when they get radicalized and ingratiated in these liberal colleges by these professors who bring their politics to the classroom. All of this has a lot to do with uh, what's going on today in the world um, and with law enforcement specifically. What about also uh, the terror watch list? Because we understand that this guy was on the terror watch list. I mean, his family actually called up. We're seeing reports. It was back in December and said, hey, listen, we're concerned about this guy's rhetoric. Um, And that placed him on the list. And yet, clearly, um, you know, I, I guess it's just an overwhelming thing to follow all these different people, and you don't know which ones to follow. But here we are. It was not that long after December, obviously, that he does this attack on December 31st. Right, right. And and the uh, the problem with the terror watch list is that it's only a no-fly list, right? It's not a no-travel list, so to speak. So uh, they're free to get on trains, as he did, an Amtrak train. Uh, this has been an issue, again, since I was on the Joint Terrorism Task Force. We brought this uh, issue before um, the federal prosecutors, telling them that this is an issue that needs to be looked at because, uh, you know, they, they can get on a, a boat, they can get on a, a, a train, they can drive, obviously, you know, go from state to state. So, again, to your point, it's hard to, you know, keep track of everybody, but um, uh, they have to probably expand um, the uh, kind of the purview of the list to include maybe traveling on trains and boats and things of that nature. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And also, just because they get on a watch list, there probably are so many things coming at law enforcement, right, Angel? I mean, you've been in the thick of this, too, and know what that's like when there's so many different directions coming at them um, and to sort it all out and, and who's right, who's who's saying something accurate, because people are wondering, how did it sort of slip through the cracks when clearly the guy was on the radar? Right. Well, yes, absolutely. And not only that, but in today's society, right, what's what's abnormal, so to speak, right? What's not normal? What's going to kind of get people's spidey senses tingling, so to speak, right? Because everything is normalized in today's society. So if you go to police or you call, uh, you know, your local police department or the FBI to report some abnormal behavior, a lot of times people are, you know, they're shut down because it's like, oh, well, that's not abnormal. It's just today's world, you know? So when we normalize everything, um, at what point do we say, hey, this is abnormal and this should be kind of a, a sign of something that's maybe about to happen. So it's all part of this, you know, unfortunately, I hate to keep going back to this, but part of this woke mentality that's, um, you know, that, that's tying the hands of law enforcement, right? It's, 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 it's tying the hands of law enforcement because, again, there's nothing abnormal in today's society. Everything's normal. Everything, you know, everybody wants to be woke and all this inclusive under the guise of inclusivity. And then, uh, you know, you're tying the hands of law enforcement because it's harder for them to investigate things or follow up on beats. Talk about also how tough it is on law enforcement right now, Angel. I mean, it, this is such a scary time that there are people, and as you talk about, sadly, it's not new, uh, but at this time that they are feeling under such attack that there are people that are actually targeting them, that go with this mission. Um, and sadly, the knife is sort of some, it tends to be something that a lot of these terrorists are using. Right. Well, it's it's an unprecedented time. I mean, the NYPD alone, we, we lost almost... Uh, over 3,000 police officers left through attrition, retirement. Uh, they left to take other jobs. Uh, they, they, they had early retirement, right, um, uh, due to uh, a lot of factors, including this unlawful vaccine mandate that Mayor Adams keeps pushing. Um, he just gave down uh, um, a few hundred denials on New Year's Eve or, or the day before, I think the 30th, he came down with a bunch of denials. So it's an unprecedented time in law enforcement um, as far as, you know, feeling that they're targeted, feeling that they have uh, targets on their backs. I say this all the time. I feel like police officers are the most marginalized members of society today, Um, you know, and unfortunately, um, it's going to be harder to keep filling these vacancies. Right. You're losing experience to help train the rookies. You're losing uh, uh, good police officers going to other police agencies down south. Um, out west, uh, you know, in the middle of the country that appreciate them. So, um, you know, it's going to get harder and harder and harder. When I became a cop in 1992, we had about 37,000 cops, and I went down to about 30,000. So, um, you know, the, the numbers are dwindling, and uh, they keep, uh, you know, dismissing these uh, um, appeals for the vaccine mandates, and the n- numbers are going to keep dwindling, specifically in New York, and it's only going to get worse. And then you have the mayor uh, pretending that this is back to being the safest big city in the world when it's a complete lie. Right. It is all just obviously smoke and mirrors. And just as you said, we also have to get tough. I'm happy to see, by the way, Angel, that at least it's attempted first degree murder, uh, which Mm -hmm. would at least hopefully show that this guy doesn't get out. Um, We know he's in the hospital, but at least doesn't that send at least a strong signal? Well, yes, absolutely. And hopefully, you know, there's still uh, time to charge him federally. Um, I worked with Mike Driscoll, uh, who's the uh, who's in charge of the FBI office in New York. I worked with him when I was on the JTTF. He's a fantastic uh, person, a fantastic agent, a fantastic law enforcement officer. And um, I'm sure that if he can, he's going to do the right thing and he's going to get this guy charged 
uh, federally, you know, with terrorism charges. Yeah, absolutely. As maximum as possible, um, because you can't do this to anybody, let alone um, our great police officers. Angel, thank you very much. So happy to have you always on the show and get your great expertise. Thank you so much, Angel Masonette. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. And when we come back, everybody, we're going to take your calls. What's your reaction? You just heard from Angel. So much of it is this sort of woke policy, this anti-police, anti-American rhetoric, certainly contributing to a lot of this. And why haven't the authorities basically yet called it a terrorist attack? Uh, What are they waiting on? The guy was saying, listen, you know, spewing jihadist rhetoric, apparently in a diary he had jihadist rhetoric, whole bunch of stuff. It seemed like the writing was on the wall on this guy, too. 1-800-848-9222, and I'll take your calls when we come back. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. are talking about the terrorist attack, the likely terrorist attack. It hasn't been deemed it yet, but boy, is all the writing on the wall. Uh, This is this guy who slashed, took out a machete at a security checkpoint on New Year's Eve, right near Times Square, left three New York City police officers injured. The guy comes from Wells, Maine. Traveled on a New York train, on a train, an Amtrak train into New York City, arrived on December 29th. And so far, according to most people and authorities, it believes to be a lone wolf. It looks like he slept in Forest Park um, in Queens. Isn't that interesting that he slept there overnight, uh, one night, and then also at a hotel in Manhattan's Lower East Side. They found some of his belongings in the park early this morning. And then they found also a diary on him with a backpack and that had all this jihadist writing. Apparently there's social media also that talks about him uh, wanting to join the Taliban, that his rhetoric was just becoming so and so extreme, that even relatives again reported him. And he was on the terrorist watch list. They were looking for this guy. Apparently they had some communication with this guy. And then just kind of let it go, just thought maybe he was just somebody, you know, they probably get a million of these different things, sadly. But this guy acted upon his rage and attacked three NYPD officers. Thank goodness they're going to be okay. And it looks like they're going to throw the book at this guy. But I'm wondering, why are they not just declaring it a terrorist attack? Why not? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Tony on Line 6 in Florida. Tony, your thoughts about this? Hi, Rita. Happy New Year. You too. Well, I think we've had all these these men that have done criminal acts upon others, and we always say the parents should have known. The parents should have done something because the parents know them more than anybody, better than anybody. And here we have parents that did contact the police. Yeah, or at least relatives. We're not sure if it was parents, but it was relatives. You're right. And and yet the ones that were known best. Right. And instead of doing an in-depth interview with this relative to find out every detail they could and checking his social media and then talking with him, they did a minimal amount of work, sent him on his way, and look what he did. And and this time, the people did everything they were supposed to do. Yeah, no, you are absolutely right, Tony. You know, relatives reported him. He was on the radar. They did a brief interview, it sounds like, with him. 
and let him go. The problem is there's probably so many of these, but you're right. This slipped through the cracks. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And in tonight's Back the Blue, where we honor our great law enforcement and their families, a very sad story coming from Fulton County, Georgia, involving Fulton County Deputy James Thomas. Investigators believe that he was shot driving early Thursday morning, and he is being remembered as an incredible officer and also, of course, an Army veteran as well. It happened, they believe, around 4.30 a.m., and that's when officers found the deputy's body in the driver's seat of his car on Bolton Road after he had crashed. He was only 24 years old. He wasn't on duty at the time but was in his personal vehicle, and investigators are trying to piece together what happened when he left the Grady Detention Center where he worked when he was killed. The deputy's death marks the 168th homicide investigation of the year in Atlanta and also uh, actually of last year because this happened late. This happened uh, at the end of December. Um, And that is the most that Atlanta has had since 1996. And of course, our thoughts and prayers are, of course, with the deputy and of course, his family. And we'll keep you posted as we get more details in this case. And now, We have some breaking news on a story that just happened in the world of football. Breaking news. And just a little bit ago, Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin, suddenly collapsed on the field. Everybody talking about this and now some big developments coming. Let's bring in our sports guy, Ken Conley, for the very latest. Ken. Yes, Rita. So Bill's safety, 24-year-old DeMar Hamlin, collapsed to the ground after making a tackle on Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins at the 558 mark of the first quarter on Monday Night Football. The game has been postponed to a later date at this time. And an ambulance was immediately brought onto the field. Hamlin was given CPR and an AED. He was also given oxygen as he was taken off via ambulance. And the latest report due to uh, um, coming out of Fox 19 Cincinnati is that he's been intubated and is in critical condition at this time. Also, how old is he and um, anything in his history, health history that we know of? He's 24. And to my knowledge, I could do further research on it, obviously, but I don't think he has any prior medical incidences but it's just a really crazy and scary time right now because it's unlike anything we've seen before in football i mean if this guy god forbid doesn't make it i mean this is this kind of changes the game yeah it certainly does wow so many questions ken conley thank you very much great reporting thank you very much and now let's bring in dr maria ryan of course she is one of the hosts of the great show on sunday 10 to 11 a.m., Uncovering the Truth with Rudy Giuliani and Dr. Maria Ryan. Uh, Maria, thank you so much for joining us on this breaking news. What's your reaction uh, when you just heard that update from Ken Connolly? It was really shocking to see as I was watching the game that the takedown that DeMar did didn't seem like a hard contusion at all. He, He took down his opponent. He stood up. Legs got a little wobbly and suddenly collapsed. 
Now, there's a couple of differential diagnoses that uh, you think of. Immediately, as an experienced emergency department provider, I said, okay, he just had sudden death due to a lethal arrhythmia, most likely ventricular fibrillation. So you have to do a couple things because he had no pulse, wasn't breathing. CPR, of course, is important, but in this case, the most important thing the doctors on the field could do is defibrillate the heart. When there's ventricular fibrillation, the ventricular, I don't mean to be, this is the only way I think, though, um, too scientific here, but the ventricles of the heart fibrillate. So they're not making a full contraction. So no blood or oxygen is going to the brain or anywhere else. It's a chaotic rhythm. It's a lethal rhythm. So you have to defibrillate. That is the most important thing. And I do have reports that they did an AED, which is an automatic external defibrillator uh, in the hospital. I don't need an AED. I read rhythms. I can defibrillate. But this is an automatic one that will defibrillate if they notice a lethal arrhythmia. So he is intubated right now and he is in critical condition. Another condition that can cause this Sometimes these athletes just have sudden death like that, and it's ca caused by this chaotic rhythm, and they can get resuscitated by defibrillation. But it can also be brought on what's called commodic cortis. Now, commodio cortis is from a blow to the chest that causes the chaotic rhythm. So sometimes this chaotic rhythm can be caused just because we don't really know, but it can be caused to a blow to the chest. It interrupts that electrical rhythm, causes that lethal arrhythmia, and it's the same treatment. You need to defibrillate, defibrillate, defibrillate to get them out of that rhythm, to get their pulse back, to get them breathing again. He is not breathing on his own right now. He is uh, intubated and hooked up to a machine that's helping him breathe right now. We pray he has had enough oxygen to the brain and didn't get an insult, um, what we call an insult to the brain or an infarct from lack of oxygen. But it's a wait and see. It's a very traumatizing. This was on national TV. Children watching, even adults are horrified. As uh, If you didn't get to see any clips because you were on the air, the whole team fell to their knees and just started praying. In that field, you could hear a pin drop. It's very traumatizing. This young man is 24 years old. So what's going to help him now is prayers. Yeah, big time. And everybody, we're talking to Dr. Maria Ryan, uh, an emergency doctor who has a lot of experience on this. I'm so glad you're with us because this is so serious. You just talked about, I was watching, yeah, all the players just collapsed through their knees and just everybody, the fans, everybody just in shock, um, praying. Of course, now the game has been officially suspended. First, it was just temporarily suspended. Now it has been indeed postponed. Um, what is the chance? I know, obviously, every case is different, um, but he is 24 years old. We don't know his history at this point. Obviously, that would play a role, too, if there was any sort of history in his background, Dr. Maria. But what are mm -hmm. what is the chance um, a, a good, healthy, obviously, as a football player, is in great health, 
um, that he would pull through this? Is there is there a sense? And how much do you think also the game played a role versus something separate? We don't know that yet, but what could be the we case? We don't know. That's why we call it differential diagnosis. There's multiple things that could have caused this. Um, right now, I think they're going along the line that it is this commodio cordis, that it was a blow to the chest that caused the lethal arrhythmia. It could have happened anyway without that blow, but that's what they're going on that preface now. I have to tell you, Rita, I was saying when they kept saying CPR, CPR, I'm like, more importantly, he needs to be defibrillated. We got to get him out of that chaotic rhythm. And we do now know he had defibrillation almost immediately. And that's probably why he is alive right now and he has a pulse. So the fact that they did that defibrillation very quickly, he does have a chance, although they are saying he is in critical condition. I do want to correct one thing, Rita. I am a PhD doctor in healthcare management, but I'm a board certified emergency nurse practitioner. So I, I don't have my, uh, my medical de- degree, although I act and I do everything that the doctors do in the emergency department. Hey, you're better than them because if I'm getting in trouble, I'm calling you just so you know that. <laughs> Dr. Maria, <laughs> I'm, I'm promoting you because you're that good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Rita. And I love your coverage. And I, and I love your segment about the police officers. And it's tragic. You know, I think there's a war on our police officers. One thousand percent. And that's why I always love on our show to do Back the Blue and also support our heroes. I know that you and Rudy um, are both such great, great patriots. Um, Dr. Maria, thank you very much. If you see anything important with this update as this big breaking news story is happening, please give us a call back. I always appreciate your great expertise. Thank you, Rita. Thank you, my friend. Dr. Maria Ryan, um, giving us her incredible perspective and powerful perspective and saying that indeed the fact uh, that they did intubate him um, hopefully has saved his life. And we will keep you posted. Again, the new word, as you just heard from Maria um, and also from our Ken Connolly, is indeed that uh, he is now in the hospital. We know uh, DeMar Hamlin in critical condition, intubated Buffalo Bills. Uh, safety, only 24 years old. And now that game has been officially postponed. It was the Bills versus the Bengals. And every single player just went on their knees when they found out uh, that he was not breathing at that point. And of course, they gave him CPR, then rushed him to the hospital. And we will keep you posted on all the breaking developments as this has just happened Uh, literally in the last hour or two. And as we get details, we'll bring them to you. We're also just talking about, of course, the importance of backing the blue and this latest attack in Times Square. Three New York police officers attacked at a checkpoint at Times Square, just a few blocks away, about eight blocks away on 52nd and 8th. And it's a busy area. I mean, there were thousands of people at that time coming into Times Square trying to get in to watch the famous ball drop. And this guy with now, as we know, had a history of terror threats. He was talking about jihadist language. He was talking about joining the Taliban. Things were so obvious that even his relatives called up, apparently, um, basically told the FBI back in December. And here it was, December 31st, that he does this attack. But in mid-December, about two weeks before, they were so Concerned that he was having all these pro-jihadist views 
that they indeed called the FBI and said, you got to keep an eye on this guy. So how many of these radical, homegrown, violent extremists are they? This is surprising. This guy lived in Wells, Maine. I mean, talk about, you know, beautiful, nowhere, you know, you know, no man's land. And here he is sitting, they believe, on social media and elsewhere self-radicalized, which is interesting. So far, they haven't seen that he was having, you know, direct contact with some Taliban organization that was trying to recruit him. Maybe they were. Maybe they will as more details are unfolding. But here is what we know so far. This is what the FBI uh, assistant agent Mike Driscoll had to say uh, when they were getting details of the attack, at least in the initial phase. Take a listen. I want to thank the commissioner and the NYPD for their coordination on this. And I want to be clear that the FBI, through the Joint Terrorism Task Force, is working very closely with them to determine the nature of this attack. And we will run every lead to ground. I also want to be very clear, as you've heard said tonight previously, this is very much an ongoing investigation. So our ability to talk about specifics is limited. And I do want to be very clear, as you heard the mayor and the commissioner state earlier, that there is no ongoing threat. We believe this was a sole individual at this time. There's nothing to indicate otherwise. And thank goodness it was a sole threat. But how big of a war on police is there? And how many of these homegrown jihadis? I think it's pretty clear it was a terror attack. He was sort of a self-radicalized guy. I don't know why they're wasting their time. They need to just kind of come out and declare it because it's pretty obvious. Apparently, even when after he'd been shot by police in the shoulder and he's still in the hospital, even at the hospital, he was spewing jihadi rhetoric, like basically defending what he did. I mean, is there he's like a big billboard sign for a jihadi. I don't know really why there's anything uh, to debate whether it was a terror attack or not. The one thing they clearly should look at is to see, was he talking to anybody? Where did he get radicalized? I'd be curious, too. Was it online, it seems? Uh, Was there somebody who was communicating with him? We don't know yet, but it would be interesting to know the pipeline to this guy's radicalization and what drew him, a guy in Wells, Maine, in beautiful Wells, Maine. And neighbors that were interviewed were like, oh, that's really kind of surprising. In fact, let me actually play that, too. Let me play cut nine, actually. This is the neighbor who was really kind of stunned, said, like, you always hear from these people, he was a nice, good boy. Take a listen. Just kind of hard to believe. I was just shocked. You know, it's, um, you know, Walls is a very small community, and, and you think, you know, did did this really just happen here? My son, Andrew, uh, went to high school with the boys. They weren't really close. Uh, they weren't close friends or whatever, but Walls has, you know, a really small school system. So, uh, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody. Yeah, nobody suspected this guy. I mean, if you apparently the background, Wells, Maine, beautiful place. You should be talking about like lobsters and crab cakes. There's some great stuff there in Wells, Maine. And instead he's like getting, you know, radicalized. But I do think it's important to figure out where and how. And here is Mayor Eric Adams of New York talking about how police really just did a superb job under such extraordinarily difficult circumstances. Remember, this guy swung a machete. You can see it. It's a huge machete and swung it and injured three officers. This attack took place outside of the area that the police department uh, has identified as the area that we wanted to do primary focus on. And these officers responded in an admirable, professional manner. 
And they certainly did under such extraordinary circumstances. And it's such a painful, powerful reminder that police continue to sadly be in the bullseye. Uh, Let's go to BJ, line six. BJ, your thoughts about this? Happy New Year, Rita. You too, my friend. You too. Yes, a uh, heck of a way to ring it in, though. Uh, in in my uh, brief uh, fifty-eight tender years on this planet, I've never in the city I've never seen uh, a police officer be attacked on New Year's Eve that violently. Um, so uh, I have to say that uh, the forces of evil have been emboldened against the NYPD, uh, and and I really, really think that this is a wake-up call in many respects. They have to let the police do their job, and they have to have to uh, uh, bring back the nightsticks uh, of, of the 70s and 80s that the cops had. Uh, they walked around with these big, nasty, wooden metal nightsticks, and if you ever even thought of uh, getting uh, frisky with the policeman, that nightstick was a big deterrent in and of itself. Sadly, they've trained the police officers to be politically correct. And, and you guessed the, the uh, former policeman said uh, everything's been normalized, you know. Uh, you know, you have situations where people, uh, you know, once upon a time we were taught if you see something, say something. Now if you call in and report it, uh, oh, don't worry about that. That's okay. Um, that's nothing out of the ordinary. Well, you know, somewhere along the line, this guy was out of the ordinary. Yeah, uh, and, and by the way, he was a big old neon flag, too, you know, sign, BJ, because if you look at this yeah. guy's background, what more does it take that his family reported him being a radical just a few weeks before, mid-December? I mean, that's the thing that's really kind of surprising. But but your point's a a good one. There is such a war on police and we have to embolden our officers because, boy, if this doesn't epitomize how they are under threat from, you know, an array of surprising ways, just as you said, you wouldn't expect some guy with a machete to suddenly have this objective to go after and attack officers. Um, But thank goodness for these officers that one of them at least opened fire on him and shot him in the shoulder and took him out. Um, Thank goodness they acted quickly and responsive. But it's a powerful reminder. And you you hit it on the head, BJ, that we need to also embolden our officers that they can't be afraid to act because them not acting. um, Thank goodness somebody opened up and opened fire on this guy and shot him in the shoulder and took him out. And maybe now we'll find out where this guy uh, became radicalized, if it was all solely online or if there was somebody else in connection with them or how it happened, because maybe we can learn it and prevent others from doing the same and stop the pipeline, if you will, of radicalization. But we also have to give our police officers the opportunity to be able to do be proactive and to do bus and to not feel like they're going to be worried about being hauled into internal affairs because they were uh, stereotyping or whatever, right? Like, what if they had stopped this guy early? What, they were stereotyping or something? You know, it didn't happen. But if they had done that, who knows if they're afraid to really go after people for fear of that. They clearly are on many other cases. Um, So it's so important that we embolden them, and whether it's the nightstick or whatever tool they have, uh, that they have their full supply and can feel like they can protect themselves and also, of course, protect us. 1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show.
Coming up on the Rita Cosby Show, we are going to continue talking about this frightening machete attack that, let's just call it what it is. It's clearly a terrorist attack. Somebody with radical influence is clearly mentally disturbed, um, but clearly somebody who was inspired by jihadis and wanted to commit a terrible attack. Thank goodness the officers have been treated and released from the hospital because he attacked three NYPD officers. In the next hour, we're also going to talk about America's most dangerous law going into effect. It is in Illinois. And boy, is it a soft, uncriminal law. Just what we need at a time like this. And also the FBI uh, and others um, looking into more details about this particular case at Times Square, trying to get details as they're piecing it together, trying to figure it out. Um, What are your thoughts as to have they missed the mark first off? I think, obviously, they didn't take this guy seriously enough. His relatives reported him, so he should have been on an even bigger radar. It sounds like they interviewed him and basically said, okay, well, we'll just kind of put him on the list. Um, And then he shows up in New York. They should have been some flag when he traveled. He was on an Amtrak train. We assume under his real name. We'll find out. Um, But it seems to me that they missed the mark here. But the scary thing is, how did this happen and how big of a threat are law enforcement under right now? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jen on line three. Jen, your thoughts about all of this, Jennifer? Hey, Rita. Thanks, as always. I wish you a blessed New Year. Thank you. Um, you, too. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Rita, I want to comment on the FBI, if I could, regards this situation. Um, if you look at the track record of the FBI in recent years, you had the Smaya brothers, the Boston bombers. Russia actually tipped off the FBI that these guys were up to no good. They were interviewed. Nothing came of it. Nicholas Cruz, the Parkland shooter who shot and killed 17 at um, school in Florida. He, his own family tipped off. Nothing came of it. Now this situation. And then you look at the resources that the FBI has put into the uh, January 6th people. Maybe if they put in that same amount of care and concern and time and energy, but these situations could be you know, prevented from happening. That's because- a great point because you're right. It seems like they have been allocated to focus on January 6th. What about uh, calling parents domestic terrorists? Remember, putting them on the list. And yet these people are blaring, obvious. You're right. They missed the mark on this. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Rita Cosby show some stunning comments that we're just hearing about from a New York University professor from Stony Brook Medicine, by the way, get this, as we're talking about the battle that police are dealing, the anti-police rhetoric that's out there. This is a stunning comment. And of course, it comes on the heels of three officers who were attacked on New Year's Eve. 
right near Times Square. A knife-wielding, a machete-wielding guy attacking police officers. And we're going to give you more details of what he said. Why, to me, there's no gray that it was a Islamic terrorist attack. Let's call it what it is. Uh, but first off, a New York University professor is now drawing heat for basically blaming the victim, saying that it's anti-cop that is to blame versus rather the person who was committing the crime. And she is condemning, this is unbelievable, condemning as murderers two Suffolk County New York cops that shot dead a knife-wielding man who tried to kill them, leaving them with serious stab wounds. This professor, get this, her name is Anna Hayward, blames the stabbed cops for the murder of their attacker. Are you kidding me? This guy comes out and apparently the officers responded to a call that a suspect was threatening his roommate with a fire extinguisher when one of the men turned a knife on the officers. The man stabbed and seriously injured the two officers. This happened on December 28th. One with a life-threatening neck wound, and at least one of the cops pulled out his firearm and fatally shot the suspect in self-defense, according to the NYPD, to the Suffolk County Police Department. Both officers had to be taken to the hospital for treatment. A third officer was also transported, by the way, for minor injuries. But this is shocking. So this professor, Anna Hayward, posted on a Stony Brook Medicine Instagram uh, account Basically saying, why did you essentially kill this guy? He was wielding a knife and gave life-threatening injuries to a cop. Is there any gray? And she said this was a wellness check. Why didn't they de-escalate the situation? To me, this is exactly what we were just talking about in the last hour with former NYPD Detective Angel Masonette, who said it's this rhetoric that's happening in schools and in all communities, this anti-police rhetoric, this anti-American rhetoric. And here you have a New York University professor who's blaming the cops for shooting a guy who was trying to stab them in Suffolk County, New York. This is obscene. To me, this is so outrageous. And sadly, it is so indicative of this loony kazuni left-leaning policy Um, By the way, Lou Savillo, he's the vice president of the Suffolk County Police Benevolence Association, slammed this professor's murdered comments as beyond the pale, saying while a Suffolk County police officer fights for his life after being stabbed in the neck, an anti-police professor slanderously referred to him and his partner as murderers. Uh, bravo to him, because that is so outrageous. This, to me, just epitomizes this crazy, loony, kazuni left philosophy. And case in point, what happened near Times Square on New Year's Eve? This guy, a 19-year-old Trevor Bickford from Maine, apparently uh, takes out his machete. And now we're getting word that, first of all, he was targeting the NYPD officers. He attacked three of them. Uh, send two of them to the hospital. And now we are finding out that while he was doing this, while he was lunging at officers, he said, Allah Akbar, Alu Akbar. So that sure sounds like an Islamic terrorist attack to me. I mean, here's the guy shouting 
this common phrase that we have heard from prior terrorist attacks by Islamic Islamic extremists, this guy injures the officers, specifically was targeting the officers, came down two days before on a train, got his weapon, had all this vitriol and all this jihadi rhetoric, so much so that his relatives even reported him to law enforcement. And this just, to me, epitomizes two things. One, law enforcement is under attack, that we have to support law enforcement's back because there are these people that are out there that are wishing to do them harm every single day. And two, that there are these radical extremists, call them homegrown, self-radicalized, whatever the case is, as we find out more details about this guy, that are in this country already. And you have to take these threats seriously. We know that he was apparently on the radar of the FBI, but obviously not a good enough radar because just a few weeks later, he does this attack on the NYPD. So we have to back law enforcement, and also law enforcement shouldn't be spending the time looking necessarily at January 6th or also parents as domestic extremists. Let's have them focus on people like this guy who really is a threat to society. That really is where the priority should be, don't you think? It's 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to John on Line 7 from Nevada. Go ahead, John, your thoughts about all this. Hey, Rita, I'll tell you this, Trevor Bickford, uh, he was not all there. He probably had a mental health condition that led to him in his fascination with Islam, and then he got radicalized. Um. Yeah, but but and you know what? By the way, I agree. He had obviously some mental issues. Maybe you know he was sitting at home and online, and who knows what. But but clearly he was able to act on him. So he, you know, to me, you got to be mentally deranged to do this. But that's not an excuse. You need to throw the book at him. Yeah, he should never see the light of day again. Um, it's sad, but uh, there's this movement nowadays to release people. And uh, he's one of the people that in my mind should never be released. Uh, Anybody that does violence with a weapon, I don't think should ever be released. Yeah. And especially Uh, by the way, John, who has this kind of crazy mindset too. I mean, that's the other thing too. You look at his background and you look at uh, the fact that he's so loosely right away as he was attacking the authority, the officers, police sources are telling the New York post, he was shouting, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. And then apparently when he was in the hospital, he was also shouting all this anti, uh, you know, police and also jihadi uh, terminology. And Allah Akbar, God is great. Um, but that's that's the comment, by the way, that I think the guy from Egypt Air before he downed the plane, if I remember, years ago, right before he downed the plane, it was Allah Akbar, you know, that seems to be sadly this common phrase. And he wasn't doesn't sound like he was hiding it. I mean, that's the scary thing. John, thank you very, very much. Um, let's go to Susan, line six. Susan, your thoughts about this? Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, yeah, shout out to Jen because she also mentioned the uh, Lakewood, Florida, how these people are, uh, it, these perps are on the, not only on the radar, they have sometimes been visited by law enforcement and the FBI. And then they go on to these mass shootings. And um, also, like, look at the Pulse nightclub. That's another thing. That that individual 
was also on the FBI, that they interviewed him several times. So many people said that they were, you know, that he worked with, he was a security guard. And remember, Rita, that we had the um, uh, the bomber, the Chelsea bomber, I think it was 2018. Now, no one got killed, but he was also from New Jersey. His family reported him to the FBI um, that he was. That was the guy with the pipe bombs, right? If I remember. Yes, didn't, yep, I, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, Rita, it, I was working uh, on uh, 20. Uh, Second Street or something, right there, and it was in front of our, our my building. So I'm very aware there are so many cases, and that the FBI, even 9/11, Bill Clinton, he put the Chinese wall between the CIA and FBI. Remember that uh, one of the flight instructors said, "Hey, these people, they're uh, these are." Uh, uh, Whatever he said, uh, immigrants are, you know, they're learning to take off, but they're not learning to land. There were so many things because they're involved in politics, as you said, uh, uh, prosecuting people for insurrection from January 6th, and there's no, there's never been called an insurrection. Right, but but you know what, Susan, and and Susan, if you're spending... Uh, time getting 800 to 1,000 people uh, there, uh, and they seem to be able, if you, like, spit on the sidewalk on January 6th, you're arrested. And yet in this case, uh, like in this case, just like the Pulse nightclub one, it sounds like there was some interaction with law enforcement. I don't know if they visited him, but I think they spoke to him. Um, and yet uh, here it goes again. It's like they, they don't seem to miss an opportunity for January 6th. And for going after parents, calling them domestic terrorists, and yet uh, they seem to somehow these people seem to slip through the radar. I mean, or they don't take it seriously. I don't know. I don't think they should be spending their time on January 6th when you got real loony kazoonies like this Allah Akbar guy. You know, I mean, that's their priorities are just out of whack. Uh, and there's only so many resources. Don't spend the resources on something else. You know, spend it on things like this, which, boy, if this is not a security concern. And later on the show, we're also going to talk about the border. I mean, if this doesn't just raise huge red flags, this guy seems like he's homegrown. Can you imagine how many may have crossed the border that wish to do us harm? That's where our focus should be. Susan, thank you. You're always terrific. Thank you for your perspective. Let's go to Rick on line one. Rick, your thoughts about all this. Go ahead, Rick. Hello, beautiful Rita. Happy Schwanza. Thank you very much. Thank you. You too, my friend. Did you hear Pelosi say that? Yes, I did. I was laughing. But thank you very much. You're too funny, Rick. You're always contemporary. You're always on the ball. I love that. Um, actually, a couple of my points were taken. The FBI has been busy with uh, parents at PTA meetings and January 6th. And a couple of American heroes named Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump. They've been spending too much time investigating them and not doing their job. Yeah. And you know what? I feel for the FBI because I'm sure there's a lot of these, you know, kind of homegrown. And and it's probably hard to tell if somebody and who knows, maybe when they get on the phone or if they meet them, they try to act normal suddenly and and, you know, have this whole other side to them, clearly. But. Um, but clearly when some, when you got a family member who says, Hey, listen, I'm really worried about my son being radicalized. What I'm wondering is also, I would think 
suddenly you got somebody who two days before is on an Amtrak train. I want to know, did he go under his own name? And if that's the case, there should be a big old ping. Um, Angel Masonette just brought up a great example when he was on the show in the last hour where he said that it's usually a no-fly list. But it should be a, if suddenly somebody's moving and they're going through a toll in another state list, or in this case on a train heading down to New York City two days before New Year's Eve, that should have, I think, Rick, caused a huge red flag. What are your thoughts about that, Rick, don't you think? I mean, my goodness. Well, I actually don't think so because they want this chaos. Oh, I don't think I don't think they want this. I mean, I don't think they want they they want this chaos, Rick. I think that's they, a they you know criminal stream across the border. Well, no, that that by the way, I agree with you on that. That that border is wide open and it is so dangerous. I don't think they want you know people who are attacking law enforcement on New Year's, but I do think that they're clearly missing the mark. I mean, why are they spending so much time on things that are again? I go back to the January six, Rick, and then. Here on this case, this guy was moving. I mean, you tell me you don't have some ping or alert uh, when a family member says two weeks before, basically, this guy is uh, jihadi, he's extreme, he's this, he's that, and suddenly he's getting on a train to New York City right before New Year's. Uh, I feel like a second-grade detective could figure that out. Go ahead, Rick. Spending too much time investigating people on Twitter. Yeah, no, you're right. You're <laughs> right. And wondering where they were on January 6th. And running, the, and running the company. Yeah, scary stuff. Scary stuff. Rick, thank you. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody, after the break. What do you make of the fact uh, Rick and I are both talking about they're spending so much time looking online, looking on January 6th, and yet here is a guy who two weeks before said he was planning to do this. Now we find out that he shouted Allah Akbar, um, and yet no red flag when he's taking an Amtrak train to New York City two days before. Um, and by the way, why are they waiting to call it a terrorist attack? Uh, now that we find out a couple hours ago, sources telling the New York City law enforcement sources telling the New York Post, he shouted Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. Uh, to me, you know what? I, it would take me about five minutes to say it's a terrorist attack. Are they trying to be PC? 1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. More details about this Maine teenager, 19 years old, uh, Trevor Bickford. This is the guy who brought out a machete and lunged at NYPD officers near Times Square on New Year's Eve, finding out uh, that he shouted, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, uh, right before he was lunging into officers. By the way, one of them was a rookie who suffered a skull fracture on his first day on the job. Um, Also, this guy apparently had toyed with joining uh, Islamic militants in Afghanistan, but instead came to the Big Apple, as we know, on December 29th, two days before New Year's Eve, telling his family he was coming as a tourist. 
Uh, his family then, by the way, should have called again. Apparently, relatives did alert, uh, you know, authorities mid-December that this guy had become radicalized. But I think I would have still called authorities again and said, hey, by the way, uh, he's coming as a, quote, tourist two days before. Uh, I don't know. I think they should have raised even more red flags now that I'm hearing this. Apparently, he became radicalized only about a month ago. So this was pretty recent. Cops also found handwritten manifesto with him in which he urged his family to, quote, embrace Allah and chided his brother, who was in the U.S. Marine Corps, for, quote, losing his way. So this guy, it sounds like after his father's death, uh, from uh, his father died just recently. It wasn't that long ago. His father died, I think it was in 2018, uh, overdose death, that he became sort of radicalized, found religion, and then recently, about a month ago, became radicalized. Uh, boy, this is a wild, wild case. What are your thoughts about this? 1 800 848 uh, let's go to David in the Bronx. Go ahead, David. Your thoughts about this. Yes, good evening, Rita. Um, first question I have is, did he purchase the machete in New York City, or did he bring it with him from Maine on Amtrak? Yeah, um, we, don't, I, we don't know. That's a great question. We don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. But as far as the FBI is concerned, let's remember that they're also law enforcement and that they put their lives on the line every day to protect us, and they get thousands of reports like this on a regular basis. And this was a small town in Maine. I don't know which FBI office covered this, but it's probably not one of the larger ones. They don't have the resources to to track someone across the country like this guy. Yeah, but but, but, and by the way, David, I agree with you. You know, I feel like the FBI, there's so many great men and women in the agency. And you're right. It's it's I'm sure there's a lot of them. But what I'm stunned at is that there was not some red flag that he was coming to New York two days before New Year's when two weeks before he was loony enough for his own relatives to report that he was getting radicalized. Don't you think at that point there should have been some sort of flag? You know, he bought a ticket, I assume, under his own name, too. Don't you think there should have been something? Well, I'd be inclined to agree. But again, it it goes to the resources. I don't think we have enough agents to, you know, like you said, they interviewed him about two weeks ago. I mean, they probably interviewed him he probably you know gave him the uh soft shoe answers you know he didn't really say what he was really thinking and they're like well this guy's probably just a crazy kid right i mean i i know that's what happened yeah yeah no 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 and I, I agree with you on the other hand clearly this guy was a ticking time bomb and the fact he was heading to Times square there needs to be a better accounting system we're going to continue with your calls this is the rita cosby show on the red apple podcast network Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, which I love doing every night here on the Rita Cosby Show, where we honor our great military and their families, a beautiful story coming from Lynchburg, Virginia, where Steve Bozeman is being honored for dedication to country and community in the VFW. Hashtag still serving campaign. 
and he feels deeply compelled to service to other veterans. The National Veterans of Foreign Wars Still Serving campaign recognizes veterans who continue to serve in their communities after the military. Bozeman, a U.S. Marine veteran with two Purple Hearts, is still serving by hosting a weekly Support Our Troops rally where veterans, active duty, and patriots gather every Friday from noon to 1 p.m. in Lynchburg to share their support for service members. How beautiful is this? Bozeman started the rally back in 2001 to show support for those troops who had recently been deployed to Afghanistan. The rally is still going strong today, two decades later. In fact, the last week of December, that marks 1,000 100 rallies that have taken place at the Monument Terrace there in Lynchburg, Virginia. Even when temperatures reached the coldest in 21 years on Friday, on December 23rd, they still had about 40 vets there and also members of the community. He said that on any given Friday, between 50 to 100 or more supporters show up waving military flags on the curb and also encouraging vehicles to honk if you support troops. I'd be honking loudly and proudly. How beautiful is that? And we always love doing this segment every night where we support our heroes. Well, we are talking, of course, about this terrible, I just say a terrorist attack, a guy who was clearly inspired by jihadist activities, so much so that he wanted to actually go to Afghanistan, apparently just got radicalized a month ago, was on the FBI's radar. There was even some sort of an interview or discussion with him. Relatives actually called in about two weeks ago and said, this guy is getting radicalized. Luckily, he was taken down, but not until he waved his machete at three NYPD officers. He's been charged, by the way, with attempted murder. And hopefully some federal charges will come soon because that'll really throw the book at him. Uh, but it's frightening when you hear the background of this guy. And now we're getting word that he shouted, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, as he lunged at cops right outside of Times Square on New Year's Eve. And here is Patrolman's Benevolent Association President Pat Lynch saying, thank goodness the officers on the scene responded right away. Here is Pat Lynch's comment. One of the things we need to thank is our fellow police officers who responded to that 1013 by the thousands to make sure it didn't get worse. Got their colleagues here to the hospital so the staff here can stitch us up. Yeah, cops are under attack And not just physically, but also verbally. Take a listen to this. Um, This Stony Brook, Long Island professor, Anna Hayward, I can't believe this, took to social media. And she criticized two Suffolk County, New York officers that shot dead a knife-wielding man who tried to kill them, by the way. And she labeled them as murderers. Are you kidding me? This is somebody who is a professor at Stony Brook University. She went on social media, this professor, Anna Hayward, and she posted, this was a wellness check. Why, did they de- why didn't they de-escalate the situation? Why did a man have to die? What about the man they murdered? These were two officers who were defending themselves. They got called out on a report of a suspect who was threatening his roommate with a fire 
extinguisher. This was on December 28th. One of the men turned a knife suddenly on the officers. He stabbed and seriously injured the two officers, one of them with a life-threatening neck wound. And so the other officer pulled out a firearm and shot the guy. I say totally justified shooting. Are you kidding me? The guy was stabbing an officer. Are you kidding me? What, is he supposed to just take it, according to this crazy woman? And this is a woman in academia. Shame on her. And so the head of Suffolk County PBA, Lou Savillo, said, quote, Stony Brook University must denounce Professor Hayward's false and hateful comments and should put an end to the harmful anti-police bias in their program. Wow. I 1,000% agree. Shame on this woman. And this is a professor who is saying that the cops were murderers because they were being stabbed by a crazy man, and she's mad that the cops killed the crazy guy who surely would have killed his roommate. He was lunging at police officers, stabbed one with life-threatening neck wounds. What is going on with society? And we have to just kind of clamp down on this crazy anti-police rhetoric. This just epitomizes it. This is so shameful. I want to get your reaction to this and also what we just talked about with this guy, this knife-wielding guy, machete-wielding guy who was shouting Allah Akbar as he was lunging at officers. Uh, are they, Are they? you know, attempted murderers for trying to put him out too? According to this woman, they probably are. What a bunch of loony kazoonies. Shameful that this woman would say this. I am outraged. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Casey in Detroit. Line two. Casey, your thoughts about all of this. This is just this anti-police physical attacks and verbal attacks just has to stop. Go ahead. Rita, I listen to you all the time. I'm, I, I moved out to Detroit only about five years ago. I'm a New Yorker. Okay, and I listened to all the crime and stuff um, in New York. And, well, the first thing is the guy that was being attacked by his roommate should have called social services and his roommate be alive and he'd still have a fire extinguisher. But having said that, I don't understand why the police don't do it. Although, let me say one thing, Casey. We don't know how, like, maybe the guy just grabbed the thing very quickly and he called police. I mean, if someone's lunging at me with a... um, you know, with a fire but extinguisher. Isn't, but isn't that what they want to do? They want to uh, do, you know, call a social service when you've got a crazy man. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. No, no, no. I get your facetiousness. I just want people right. to understand that that obviously how scary it is. And you're right. And and by the way, you're right. Somebody was supposed to respond and say, um, what was the line? It was the uh, the woman who's a New York councilman, Tiffany Caban, who said, if a crazy person comes over, ask, hey, didn't I go to high school with you? Or would you like a cup of coffee? Can you right, imagine? Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so so getting to the police and. I don't know why they don't do a 30-day mass resignation and order and get a meeting with the mayor and the governor and say, look, if you don't get rid of Bragg and if you don't do reform, we're resigning because there's got to be 34,000 police jobs in Republican states and Republican cities that would take every single New York City policeman. No, you're right. And by the way, remember Florida also, Casey, also uh, was offering, remember, in the height of all the COVID when the forced mandates were happening with the vaccines, 
uh, I say bravo to Ron DeSantis because I think Florida offered, I can't remember, it was like $1,000 or whatever it was. Maybe it was 5000 I can't remember, but I think it was at least 1000 to officers that wanted to relocate down to Florida. He was like, we'll take you. You know, you don't have to worry about a vaccine. Come on down. Because, of course, uh, they're so well-trained in New York, uh, as you know all too well. But uh, you are absolutely right. Um, you know, uh, I I give our law enforcement so much credit that they are still dedicated to the job, J.C., in the midst of all this lousy pay. Then they're getting attacked by loonies with a machete. And then they're getting attacked by these loony professors verbally who are calling them murderers for defending themselves. Uh, it is it is just despicable. I, I am so with you, J.C. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Steve in Long Island. Steve, what's your reaction, first of all, to this loony kazuni uh, Stony Brook professor. This is outrageous. Great show, Rita. Happy New Year to you and the staff there. I think that uh, people should call Stony Brook University and call out Anna Hayward and call for her resignation. I mean, she wasn't there. The police officers respond. Suddenly, the guy pulls out a knife and comes at you, and, you know, they stabs both of the officers. I mean, I don't understand what the police officers were supposed to do. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. This anti-police sentiment has to stop. It's causing a lot of people to get killed and a lot of people to get hurt. Just like the jihadists that attacked the three officers in Times Square. The FBI is too busy chasing Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump, uh, Roger Stone, and others, and they're taking their eye off the ball. You know, especially when this guy's family members reported him to the FBI. He should have been followed and monitored. I mean, this is absurd. I'm so pissed off with this. I don't know what to do. Yeah, I, and I am so angry, too. because and, and the fact that this guy, by the way, Steve, I keep bringing up, he got on a train from Maine to New York two days before and told his family he was going as a tourist. Now, obviously, I think the family should have figured it out. Because if you're going to go to the point where you're going to report somebody, maybe a red flag should go, oh, he's going as a tourist to New York. Uh, Times Square is awfully busy. New York's awfully busy. You know, New Year's. Something should have triggered something to them to maybe call a second time. But law enforcement should have had him pinged. He was already on the terror watch list, apparently, for that report by his family. The question is, it's obviously a long list. And I don't think he was suspect, number one, by any means, on the terror watch list. Sadly, I think there's ones that were a lot higher. But how he was able to kind of get on an Amtrak and then he checked into a hotel in New York. I mean, to me, that's just kind of obvious behavior that Times Square is sadly sort of a lure. There's a lot of people. Uh, There's obviously lots of police out there to protect everybody. And thank goodness they got this guy. Um, But... You know, part of it is, A, there's two things, obviously, we're talking about. One is this, he needed to be higher priority, obviously, and the family should have said, well, maybe he's not going as a tourist, and maybe we should just tell police to keep an eye on him just in case. I mean, the family should have, or the relatives should have raised a red flag, um, whoever it was, if it was parents or whoever. That's I'm not sure if it was the parents or if it was another relative. And then the second is, I think Stony Brook should have this woman resign. Don't you think, Steve? They need to, I think immediately they should say this is unconscionable for a professor and to have these kind of views. They shouldn't be around educating students. Your thoughts, Steve, real quick on that. Absolutely right. I'm going to call Stony Brook tomorrow. 
see if I can leave a message with the dean or speak to the dean's office. This is crazy. Yeah, her name is Anna Hayward, Professor Anna Hayward. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. And and obviously they are alerted because the PBA has already put out a statement saying that they need to denounce uh, this professor. And so far, uh, I don't see any statement from them. Let's say what we appreciate. Oh, here, hang one second. Stony Brook University, we appreciate members of law enforcement who work deeply and we're proud of the doctor's quality. Uh, the comments made online from what appears to be a faculty member's private account is not affiliated with Stony Brook University. So they're trying to say it was a private account. And, yeah, it probably was a private account. But still, they, you can't have a teacher with this kind of mindset. They, they, they should publicly condemn it. Don't you think, Steve? Absolutely. What is she teaching the students in the classroom? Somebody needs to monitor that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Especially imagine what they're (laughs) crazy, crazy. I agree with you, Steve. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Jimmy. Line one. Jimmy, your thoughts. It's not good to call people crazy when they're outsmarting you. The movement may seem crazy, but there's sense behind it. Remember, Obama was a professor. One of his best friends was also a professor who happened to be a communist terrorist, Bill Ayers. This is not an accident. Think about it this way. To to the communist movement, right? Police defend the existing capitalist order. Therefore, police are the enemy. This is why they make this movement against the police. Now, this American became radicalized. Do you remember when we first American troops went into Afghanistan? We captured an American guy, a white guy, young American guy, working with and fighting with for the Taliban. We called him Rat Boy. That guy became Muslim through rap music. I have publications where the communists write about radicalization process of American youth through rap music. There are some rap songs where right in the middle of the rap song you hear a speech from Ayatollah Khomeini. This is a movement. It's not an accident. The uh, revolutionary... But but you know what? You bring up a good point, Jimmy, that this is intentional. And so much of this also comes, you know, from overseas, too. Um, But I think it's important to find out who he was in touch with, how it happened, don't you? I mean, I think, you know, maybe he just, you know, uh, had his own sort of separate uh, mindset. And like you said, but I agree with you. I think we need to find out who was in touch with him. uh, What did he see? um, What else is out there online? There's a lot of stuff out there that continues to be out there, right? Right, exactly. Look, there's radicalization among Christians. It's called liberation theology. There's radicalization. Every group is targeted. So you have radical Christians, radical blacks, radical women, radical Hispanics, radical youth, radical LGBTQ, radical environmentalists, radical Democrats, radical media, radical professors, radical students. And uh, you got some callers that are pretty radical, not as, not as quite as radical to openly attack America, but this radical anti-MAGA stuff is dangerous. It's all one movement. It's all different parts of the same movement. The guy who, the guy who uh, uh, was a mentor and advisor to Osama bin Laden, okay, the guy known as Ayman al-Zawahiri, he was trained by the Soviets. What did bin Laden do? He attacked the symbol of American power, that's the Pentagon. He attacked the symbol of a capitalism, which World Trade Center, and he tried to hit the White House, the symbol of American government. This is not an accident. You could radicalize anybody if you get control. You get their attention, then they get hooked. They could be studying on the Internet. They could be going to meetings. I've been to meetings. I heard some of this radical stuff. Oh, you did? Wow. Radical Islam. 
look, it's all out in the open. None of this is secret. Just that people don't pay attention, and then I sound crazy by warning about it. No, by the way, and by the way, Jimmy, I appreciate that you also went to a meeting. Can I just ask you real quick, what what happened in that meeting? That's wild, because um, I'll never forget, by the way, I went to a mosque one time after 9-11. I was a tourist just just visiting um, a foreign country. And I went in and I remember asking the, you know, I asked uh, the the head guy at the mosque, I, I asked him, I said, hey, listen, I want to know, you know, because um, he said, you know, we condemn what happened after 9-11 in your country, in America, we're so sorry. And I said, thank you, you know, because it was obviously so horrible what happened. And I said, you know, why aren't more people, you know, you, you know, uh, protesting of all faiths, you know, even Islamic faiths, because I have friends who are Islamic who, who are absolutely condemned what happened in 9-11. And he said, many of them are scared to because there's such pressure even within the faith. That was an interesting answer. Because I said, why are they not protesting down the streets, supporting Americans, you know, protesting against what happened? Um, what what happened in that meeting? Real quick. That's an interesting that you, I, I kudos to you to get inside. What was that like, Jim? Real quick. Well, the, the one that's mostly important. Why was that a meeting, uh, a political meeting at a group that's a communist front group? They had a guy speaking in defense of Hamas. He denied when he was questioned that he supported Hamas. His whole talk was defending Hamas and radical Islam. He was talking about it. It's the Arab liberation movement. We have gay liberation, black liberation. All of that stuff is connected. Look, I was at a meeting at St. Mark's Church a few years ago. Now, what kind of meeting is this at a church? I hear one guy telling another guy, we know where the police store their special equipment. Why would they be caring? Why would they be studying? Why would they be finding out secret information like that? Wow. Knowing where the police store their secret. He said special. Wow, Jimmy, Jimmy, bravo for you for getting inside and sharing that information. And obviously, uh, anytime uh, that you can, you should be also sharing it with law enforcement, too, because uh, if it gets to the point where it's something serious that they're planning or plotting, uh, wherever it is, whoever it is, obviously, we want our officers to be safe. Wow, wow, wow. Jimmy, you always have such fascinating stuff. Thank you for calling in. Everybody, we're going to continue with your calls after the break. 1-800-848-9222. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about this crazy law in Illinois that's deemed America's most dangerous law. It went into effect yesterday. It's soft on crime. Yikes. The Rita Cosby Show. We're talking about crime in America, and as if it isn't crazy enough, in Illinois, of course, uh, with Chicago, the murder capital, basically, of the world with Lori Lightfoot, they just passed what is being deemed the most dangerous law. It went into effect yesterday, and what it basically does, it limits when defendants are deemed flight risks, and also it allows defendants under electronic monitoring, get this, to leave home for 48 hours before they can be charged with escape, as if they can't go far in 48 hours. I could travel pretty far in 48 hours. Uh, So let's make it easier, basically, right, on criminals. This is the way Illinois residents have reacted. They're furious. Criminals running around, don't cash bond. I just don't like that. They don't have anything to lose. Nothing to lose. I think sometimes I keep the, the wrong ones you know, in jail and the right one's out of jail. I think it's stupid. I, I think 
I've, I've worked for the system for 28 years, and I think it's about the dumbest thing Illinois has come up with so far. Wow. Can you imagine? It's already bad enough there. And this is Sheriff Jeff Bullard of Jefferson County, Illinois, who says that this will be downright dangerous. What we fear is by the revolving door that the elimination of cash bail is going to create, that it will negatively affect our crime rates. It will create unnecessary victims. Wow. And he also believes that now people will take law into their own hands uh, because they just don't feel that law enforcement have been given the tools. Can you imagine they are now allowing people a 48 hour flight to be able to go somewhere before saying that they've escaped? 48 hours, you could go anywhere in 48 hours. Is, why make it easier for criminals? This just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 Let's go to Larry, line seven in Brooklyn. Go ahead, Larry. Yeah, hi, Rita. What are we talking about, the Illinois or... or uh... Whatever you'd like to. We're talking right, crime tonight. Right. Go ahead. Whatever you'd like to, Larry. I think it's ridiculous that we live in a society where uh, Rudy Giuliani, can, as a lawyer, is held to a higher standard of truth than a, than a professor in a university. If anything, a lawyer should be held to a lower standard of truth because he has to defend a client and take and advocate only one side and in, a, in an adversarial process. This is psychotic that a professor is not, uh, you know, is not uh, hemmed in or whatever, whatever the real in was, sanct- you know, sanctioned. For saying something that's clearly a lie, and it's not an opinion, it's a lie. To call a cop a murderer when the circumstances, all the facts show opposite, she's doing the same thing they accused Giuliani of. Yeah, and you know what? You know what's interesting, Larry, is, yeah, this is a professor. It makes me wonder, what is she teaching our kids uh, when the officers were being stabbed? It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let's go to Norman on line five real quick. Norm, go ahead. I want to make sure I got you in. Yeah, Rita. First, uh, speedy recovery for the cops who were attacked by that guy. God bless the NYPD. Yeah, 1,000%, Norm. 1,000%. And God bless all our officers everywhere. What a tough job. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.